Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. On today's episode, we're talking sustainability. How do you thrive in your career year after year, decade after decade? What can sustainability teach us about our own paths to success? Today, I'm joined by Lauren Smart. She is the Chief Commercial Officer of S&P Global Sustainable One. Over the last 20 years, she has been a key figure in the ESG market and is a respected industry speaker at the Economic Forum in Davos. Lauren is passionate about entrepreneurship for impact and was instrumental in growing TrueCost to its market-leading position and was part of the board team that sold it to S&P Global. Lauren is a fellow of the Royal Society of the Arts and holds a BA and MA from Cambridge University in archaeology and anthropology and a master's in anthropology and international development from the London School of Economics. She is married with two daughters and lives in the countryside outside of London. In April, she ran the London Marathon for the Sumatran Orangutan Society, of which she is a trustee. Welcome, Lauren, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Hello. Hi, Christine. Wonderful to be here. Oh, so happy to have you here. So I have to ask you about the orangutans. That's very <laughs> unique in bios that I've read. So how did you get involved in that? And, and what do you do? Sure, absolutely. So my uh, my role at the moment is as the Chief um, Commercial Officer for S&P Global Sustainable One. That's one of my hats, but I, I have a couple of other hats. Uh, one, I am um, a board member of uh, S&P Dow Jones Indices, and I'm also a trustee of the Smartran Orangutan Society. I can tell you a little bit about how I got involved with the um, orangutans, uh, if, if you'd like, Christine. I'd love it. Yes, tell okay, me. Okay, excellent. So I have been fascinated by primates since I was uh, very small. I have a uh, I was really interested in the work of Louis Leakey and the female primatologists that he um, deployed to to study the great apes. So um, many will have heard of, uh, of Jane Goodall in uh, studying the chimpanzees in, in Africa. Um, there was also Diane Fossey who um, studied gorillas. And then there was somebody called Baruti Galdikas um, studying the, the orangutans. And um, I was really, really interested in these pioneering primatologists and the, the work they were doing. Um, and so when I... Uh, was uh, old enough to have the opportunity to. Um, I uh, went to work in an orangutan rehabilitation centre in, in Borneo and was able to see firsthand um, the effects of, of deforestation um, and also uh, of baby orangutans being left without mothers and being orphaned because of deforestation or because they were being hunted and kept as pets. And so um, that really um, really resonated with me, actually, and has affected many things in, in my career. So when I recently got the opportunity to apply for a role as a trustee of the Smart and Orangutan Society, I felt like this was uh, calling to me. And so now uh, the, the work of that charity is to make sure that we restore and protect uh, the land in Sumatra, where we have some of the uh, last populations of, of a particular species of orangutan called the Tapanoli orangutan and the Sumatran orangutan. So it's uh, it, it's hugely um, personal to me and, um, and something that I've been fascinated in throughout my uh, career as well as my childhood. Have you been able to visit Sumatra? 
I have visited Sumatra actually. So not recently, but um, I also did a, a tiger conservation project in the in the jungles of southern Sumatra. Um, but I'm very excited about the opportunity to go um, as a trustee to, to see some of the work that we do as part of the Sumatran Orangutan Society. And your family, are they as interested as you are in this? <laughs> um, I think they think that I've got a particularly interesting uh, passion for 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 apes. Um, so, um, but uh, they, but they indulge me. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I love to start with a story that just helps us understand more about you and your career and maybe how you got started or or where your mind has been um, as you thought about your career. So, anything come to mind? So, um, I mean, maybe that that starting point with the primatologists is uh, is an interesting one because I was very interested in human evolution and how we became humans and what unites humans over over time and space. Um, and so, I studied archaeology and anthropology at, at university, which is quite unusual for uh, for people in finance. But that gave me the opportunity to really understand more about human behavior. And I actually think that that has been a really valuable skill taking into business and into finance, um, understanding how, how humans work and how, our, how, how we think about things, how we react to things, I think is, um, is a super important skill in finance, as well as the uh, more traditional financial skills. I agree. Um, my undergrad degree is in neuroscience, actually, and then um, my master's in industrial engineering, but the ergonomic side of things and the human-computer interaction, so how people think about technology. And so I got into finance without any sort of finance degree, and I really felt like it served me so well because I often thought differently than the teams that I was put on, so I tended to have more opportunities to to think differently. Um, so I applaud your sort of willingness to, to think about anthropology in a way that, you know, you can have a, a career path into um, sort of the ESG field. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about True Cost and, and how that came together. Sure, absolutely. So winding back to uh, when I graduated from my undergraduate degree in archaeology and anthropology, um, I was also really interested in finance. So that's, um, I was interested in financial markets in particular and, um, and, and, and businesses, and I was always very entrepreneurial. So um, I, you know, I wanted to explore that side of myself too. So I went into equity research which was fascinating because I was working for a big fund manager. We got to, we had big stakes in companies, so we could, uh, you know, interview the, the, the senior management CEOs of, of many massive companies around the world. And understanding what makes them tick and how they're thinking about things was also super interesting. But uh, what you what you mentioned before, Christine, really resonates in that I, I always felt I thought a bit differently. So when I was in finance, I thought, you know, I'm not mathsy enough for this. I'm, I'm, I'm you know. There aren't any, any other anthropologists um, in this uh, in this space. And then when I've been doing anthropology and and subsequently went into international development, I felt that I was like too financy, and uh, uh, you know I, that there weren't any other financy people um, around as well. So um, I definitely felt that I thought differently. And I think in the, the younger part of my career, I thought I didn't, I didn't, maybe didn't have the confidence in myself that that was actually a really good thing, um, and it's something unique and different that I I brought to to the role. I now think that those things are kind of superpowers, but it, it took a while to get to that point. But the impetus for getting into sustainable finance, which wasn't even a field then, really came from having spent the time in equity research and enjoying that, but then also wanted to explore the other part of my personality. And so did my master's in, in anthropology and international development, 
worked for the Department for International Development and did a entrepreneurial some entrepreneurial work in Africa. And, and then seeing that and thinking, well, the public sector's got some fantastic goals around. I was working on the Millennium Development Goals at the time, but I can see the power of the private sector and the flow of capital that that would really accelerate what the public sector is trying to achieve. And so I was really trying to bring those two parts of my personality and interests together. And this was way back in 2004 before ESG um, was a, was really a thing. Um, and so I was looking at, at roles that potentially could bring these two things together. And I saw a little job advert for a startup called TrueCost. Um, no clients and no market, but really trying to help investors to understand where environmental risks might lie. And so I got involved with TrueCost on the research side, the environmental economics organization, um, and were really pioneering in climate finance and uh, really helped to, to grow that business, became part of the board of that business. Um, and then we sold that business to, to S&P Global in 2016 into the uh, into the index business. So that was kind of the genesis of why I got involved with TrueCost, really trying to bring sustainability and finance together at a point in time where the two were very separate. And I think I remember from talking to you that maybe your parents didn't think this was the wisest course of action. That's <laughs> absolutely right. So after having um, like my my job in finance, they were like, what are you doing? You're moving into international development and then you're going to go join a, a startup that's got no no market and no clients. And they thought that this was all... Um, or a very, very bizarre decision making. Um, and so they used to kind of regularly ask me when I was going to get a proper job. Um, looking back, I think, um, you know, well, it, it the turning point was when I um, spoke at, at Davos a few years ago and they were like, oh, wow, you do have a proper job. And there's other people <laughs> talking about this stuff too. So I, I took that as a very important, like um, mainstreaming events. I think when you're, when my parents uh, stopped asking about that, then I was like, yes, we've mainstreamed. This is wonderful. So, um, but I guess the moral of that story is that I knew what that path was that I needed to, to take when I was like really listening to myself and being um, honest with myself and had confidence in myself. And the destination wasn't clear at the time, but the journey and the path uh, following my gut and following my passions has led me to to the right place for for me. I think that's so fantastic. Just talking about that confidence at a younger age with experience, being able to kind of put that aside and you know say no, this is this is where my passion meets my skills, meets my you know aptitude and my intelligence, and applying into it even without capital market customers. Um, actually, I think a little bit about Joy's episode a couple episodes back where she left the mutual fund industry for a very small indexing firm where she sat in a hallway and left her glamorous office and started thinking, what have I done? But again, her passion with where she saw the market's moving, um, she believed in it. And that confidence made all the difference in her career as well. So I, I think we we need to applaud those moments. Sometimes we're very aware of them, and sometimes it's much later on that we can look back with some aplomb on on what we did. So bravo! Thank you. <laughs> it, took, it feels like looking back on it, it was definitely um, it felt brave. It feels brave now, but at the time, it all seemed to make a lot of sense. So um, right. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it, I mean, there's some freedom too in earlier in our career too, where you know we can take some risks and they don't all pan out, but we we do have the opportunity to learn from all of them. So, I love our topic today of sustainability and how we can apply some of these concepts to our career. But can you take us a step back first and help us define sustainability, and then we can move it into 
how does this really apply to thinking about our paths? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, depending on who you ask, you might get very, very different answers. What's sustainability? And, you know, some people say it's uh, you know about environmentalism. Some people say it's about ESG, environmental, social and governance issues. It's in my mind, though, yeah, and it's most fundamental. Sustainability is what it says on the tin. It's about how do we create a world and an economy that is sustainable, that will continue and go on. And the thinking behind that is that, you know, we are, are living beyond our planetary limits um, and we can't have growth forever, potentially, uh, without costs. And how do we make more with less? And these sorts of like concepts around resource efficiency, how do we make sure that um, there's, there's good quality of life? Um, so really boiling it down, it is about a sustainable economy and in a sustainable world. Um, and that, therefore, is, is very multifaceted and, and, and is a big umbrella term, but I think it, it captures it. So when you think about that in terms of something that allows something to to go on, right, to yes. something that has a future, how do you start thinking about your career and others when you look through that lens of sustainability? So when I think about career, um, I mean, I, that, I guess that question can be taken in a few different ways, actually, in terms of like career sustainability, because theoretically, if I do my job well, then um, I could do myself out of a job. <laughs> um, ideally, sustainable finance just becomes finance. Um, and that because we should all like if we're thinking about um, applying sustainability to finance, we're thinking about sustainable long term cash flows. Um, we're thinking about sustainable business models. And really, there's that's just kind of common sense. It's just that some of these considerations were considered non-financial before, um, and some of these issues were, there wasn't enough information, there wasn't enough data, and so were missing. So it, to, to my mind, in terms of if we do sustainable finance correctly, then uh, it won't be a sustainable career choice for me. But I think that it's interesting to see the expansion of roles in sustainability in finance and the breadth of um, the, the mainstreaming. I think that's absolutely uh, vital to the end goal and outcomes of creating a more sustainable world economy. So define that a little bit. What, what does bringing more things into the mainstream mean on a practical basis for sustainable finance? Sure. So, I mean, I, if I look back to, you know, even 10 years ago, the ESG and sustainability teams, if there was one in a financial institution, would tend to be pretty siloed um, and would be just kind of small and working in a vacuum. Sometimes they were sitting within the communications teams and it was much more about reporting out on the good things that are being done. But it was quite siloed from um, strategy and from um, investment practices. Now, I think in most of the big investment managers, for example, pretty much everybody will have had some kind of training on sustainability to different degrees. And the ESG team will probably be much bigger and be working um, across different functions. So with working with portfolio managers, working with equity research, if you're in equity research functions now, you'll almost certainly be thinking about ESG issues and sustainability issues and how those would affect long-term cash flows and short-term cash flows and evaluations of, of companies. And if you're in a, a, in a risk function, then ESG and sustainability is something that you'll be aware of. If you're in a company and you're in supply chain management, you'll be considering sustainability issues um, in terms of, of your supply chain. So there's so many different types of jobs, but it's mainstreaming into, um, into the strategy and to the day-to-day -day workings uh, of organizations, whether that be a corporate or um, an investment house. So when this episode airs, I will be at a camp for kids in Maine 
that attracts kids that are local and then kids from Boston and New York that really need a camp experience. And um, I work with 11th, 12th grade girls at this camp and I'm so excited about it. I've been doing it for well over a decade and try to take the time off every year to do it. One of the things that I've seen growing in the minds of young people is this idea of sort of a depressive outlook on the sustainability of our earth. And a lot of that is because they don't have a concept of that anyone is doing anything about it, you know, that we're just sort of robbing the resources and we're sort of on this crash course to, to destruction. And it's really sad because, you know, I feel like they're taking on a lot of what is talked about, which I think is great, but without any sort of feeling that they can do anything about it. And so I don't know if you could sort of speak to some of them. I'll try to, you know, have this podcast available to some of them to listen to, but sort of maybe some hopeful notions of what the global community is looking at when they think about ESG and sustainability? Absolutely. Well, I think it's an incredible thing that um, the voices of, of young people are in, are increasingly being heard. I know it might not seem that things have been moving fast enough. They you know, arguably are not moving fast enough. But having been in this field for, for 20 years, I, I see huge progress and you know, I think the you know the example of my parents asking me when I was getting a proper job is, is, is an example of that. But and and I was talking earlier about the the number of different types of roles in sustainability that there are within companies, within investors, within banks. I think the fact that um, there are so many net zero targets um, from companies and countries um, and investors and asset owners is also an incredible step forwards. True, it may be that that you know they're maybe not moving towards net zero fast enough. Uh, maybe some of the targets and goals could be could be arguably stronger, but we have uh, moved on leaps and bounds from where we were before. And I would also say, if I was speaking to uh, to, to, to young people today who are thinking about you know, whether not not enough is being done, how can you be part of the solution? How can you you know be the change you want to see? And I think um, the, there's you know so many career opportunities within the breadth of the sustainability space both in and outside of, of finance which means that as they're thinking about growing their own careers and you know being part of that change that they want to see that's an opportunity for them to 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 step up to 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 be involved and to accelerate progress thank you yes thank you for that and i think i will ask them that specific question um what is the change you want to see and and how can you be part of that so shifting gears a bit what practical advice do you have for our listeners when they think about sustainability and applying that to their own careers? So I think, um, you know, obviously sustainable, sustainability has become a, a very um, busy space in terms of career opportunities, which is wonderful. We need uh, lots of people getting involved in sustainability. Um, when I'm looking at people uh, in the finance space and I'm, and, and I'm hiring, I really want to see examples of commitment and passion. I think that there are lots of smart people in the world, but commitment, passion, energy is absolutely vital too. And, and, and how do I look for that? So, you know, m- maybe someone's done their, an internship in, in finance, but they've also been working for an NGO. Maybe they've been doing some conservation work. You know, maybe they've been volunteering um, in a sort of a, you know, social entrepreneurship type of project. I look really to see that people have that sort of breadth of experience or shown commitment to learning and broadening and um, and, and demonstrating that passion for sustainability in, in many different places. So I think those are the sorts of things that practically 
um, can help to differentiate. And for people that are already, you know, in the finance space um, and maybe not in sustainability and they'd like to, to, to move and shift, I would also look at those sorts of things. What do you do in your, your spare time? You know, how do you, how are you of service to your, your communities and what do you do to demonstrate your commitment to sustainability? But also there are many great courses as well now, um, which didn't used to exist before. So there are, you know, there are master's courses and there's like the, the CFA has got an ESG course and um, there, there's lots of ways to ramp up your ESG and sustainability knowledge and also to demonstrate your, your commitment. So I'm sure there's a number of listeners out there now that are like, wow, this is fascinating. Either not fully aware that there were careers available in this as widespread as you've talked about, and then the growth in this area, but maybe they haven't approached it this way yet. Who do you admire in this space that maybe they could listen to, read about? Where is it that they can get sort of more information on sustainability? Sure. So, I mean, I have constantly inspired by the people in sustainability and particularly those who've been um, involved for a long time. And, you know, when it when it wasn't cool, um, but had a, you know, a commitment and a passion to, to, to change in the world. But if I was to highlight somebody from a personal perspective, um, the I, you know, I talk about there not being many anthropologists in finance, but there there is one, <laughs> at least one. Um, so Gillian Tett, um, who um, was the founder of the FT's Moral Money. She's a financial journalist. It also has a PhD in social anthropology from the same uh, university I went to. So I always find her, um, admire her work and how she's brought anthropology into um, into her work in finance. And also she the, the moral money, um, those articles are really worth reading as well. So people who are interested in learning about the sector and keeping up on what's going on, that's a, a good place to go to. Can you give me an idea of what what she writes about? Um, She writes about sustainable finance and ESG and the whole of the kind of um, the reason it's called moral money as well. It's um, really around understanding sort of ESG and sustainability in finance and how those um, come together. So, you know, she'll she does like um, and her team that there because she was the founder. But there's a a whole team um, right on a regular basis about all the uh, industry sort of sustainability issues in finance. Wonderful. And so one of the things you said earlier on, which I really loved, and I think about it all the time with some of the organizations that I get involved in from more of an activism point of view, is that I always hope that we put ourselves out of a job of needing to have the organization, right? You know, that they themselves become sustainable. And I think that should be the goal for all the things that that we try to to be active for, that we can, across the course of our, our lives, we can move from thing to thing as we look to maybe not solve the problem, but shift and find solutions that come to some success. So tell us a little bit about where you think the field of sustainability goes from where it has obviously come. I mean, you started before it really was a field. It is now what is talked about at so many organizations and should be. Where does it go from here? So as I said, we've come a long way, but there's still an awful lot to do. So I'm not worried about not being out of a job uh, anytime (laughs) soon. But ultimately, it it should be considerations of sustainability should be in kind of they should be fully mainstreamed. And when that happens, you know, then then I think we are are in a really good place. So no sustainable finance because it's all sustainable finance, I I think, is the is the end goal from my perspective. Yes. Yes, I I agree. So in the meantime, between where we are now and where that is, what are some of the sort of hotbeds, the, you know, heat map of sustainability? Where where are people putting their focus? 
So I think, you know, there's been a big focus on listed equities. There's a, you know, public companies are now getting pretty good at reporting um, ESG information um, and increasingly, you know, have net zero targets and report on their net zero targets. I think there'll be a lot more um, that there will need to be sort of disclosure on in terms of progress towards net zero targets and on climate in particular, given sort of the regulatory um, environment. And um, I think there'll be, we'll see more depth of reporting on climate. But outside of listed equities, I think it's really important for us to, to think about how we can progress there because there's still a lot of black holes in terms of information gaps. And obviously sustainability, whilst it um, sustainable finance, whilst it kind of started in the listed equity space as with the concept of being um, an equity owner, meaning that you owned part of that responsibility. But sustainability issues obviously don't just affect listed companies. So private companies obviously infrastructure assets absolutely um you know we think about different asset classes um to, to varying degrees sustainability is really important and i think there's a lot more work that needs to be done data collection and data sources and disclosures in the other asset classes and i think about that in terms of this information gap um and so all the places that the information can come from and then how that actually gets reported and and how it actually gets you know, really funneled down to consumers, right? So consumers of the financial products or consumers of products and consumerism in general, right? We've been having a, a lively discussion in my family um, with my husband and my kids about paper towels, about, you know, whether we need them and, you know, what are some of the other products that are a lot more sustainable for our environment than paper towels. And it seems so silly, but it is this idea of we do have an information gap of whether the way some of the paper towels that we have are sourced, like, are they as renewable as they say? Would it be better to use the water to clean than the trees or actually the bamboo that needs to be harvested? You know, all these types of things. And I feel like we get to some impasses in our conversations because of the information gap. And so maybe address that a little bit in terms of that's from like a consumer level, but where do you see the information going in sustainability? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good example. I think that with knowledge comes power and there's still a lot that we need to, to learn and to know about. And like, as you said, like how sustainable is bamboo, bamboo versus um, other materials? Companies are learning about that type of thing too. So, you know, companies are having to, um, you know, understand, well, if I manufacture T-shirts in this location versus another location, what's the impact in terms of, uh, you know, water usage and what's the mm. impact um, of the, the, you know, the chemicals that might be utilized in that particular area and, and, and the, the local workforce. So, um, so companies are, are learning too, and there's, there's definitely still a lot further to, to go there. And then I think you raise an interesting point as well when we think about financial products and consumers of financial products. And so actually there has been um, you know, increasing amounts of regulation, particularly in Europe, around the labelling of funds. And so funds in Europe now have to be uh, labelled according to um, the percentage of um, you know, how sustainable they are. So whether they are targeting impact explicitly, um, positive impact that is, or whether they are integrating ESG as a consideration um, into their general risk management process. So that, that kind of labeling of, of funds is something that I think is really designed to help consumers of investment products better understand what they're buying as well. 
Right. And there's so much complexity around labeling as well. And if you think about going to the grocery store and seeing a label, you know, we become so familiar with it. And it's such powerful information of the pieces that companies are required to label, right? There's so much that we don't know about what we're buying that isn't included in those labels. And I think about what a maybe inadequate job we've done in the financial resources markets with labeling for consumers. You know, you get these huge PDFs of all this information and sure, labels are in there, but if we don't make them accessible, then that information doesn't translate well to to the consumer. So any thoughts on where that might be going in terms of empowering people to actually use these labels? Yeah, I think that we will see increasing amounts of regulation that will standardize the type of sustainability information you'll see. There are already organizations um, like ISSB that have begun to bring together sort of sustainability reporting standards. And that's really designed to help provide clarity and confidence in the market. So you know, companies know what to report on. Um, consumers know what to expect in terms of reporting and that there's consistency and the ability to compare. So I think the proliferation of kind of approaches to reporting, the tide is turning and there's now trends towards consolidation, clarity and enabling and empowering consumers to, to know what's going on. And I think also greenwashing has been called out. So um, greenwashing is when you know companies or investors make green claims that may not be sort of scientifically robust. And I think that there's been a big, big focus against through regulatory and industry initiatives to try and curb greenwashing so that there can be confidence in the market from consumers uh, that a product is what it says on the tin. Right. So I really hope that we have a number of younger listeners as well as all of our listeners um, really understanding that there can be a place for them either as a consumer or someone within this industry um, to have a voice. It sounds like the area of sustainability and sustainable finance is just ripe with opportunity. So thank you, Lauren, for helping us move through so much of this career. Our last question um, is always about uh, what we're reading. I'm a writer. Um, I love how story and information and new ways of thinking can kind of open up our minds and make us more compassionate people. So what do you have for our listeners as something you would recommend to read? So I thought um, long and hard about this because I read a lot and I read some very diverse stuff. However, I thought in line with the theme of this podcast, I would recommend Gillian Tett's book, Anthrovision, which is about how anthropology can help to explain business and life. Uh, so if you're interested in in uh, in some of the, the themes that I've been talking about today, I think that that's a uh, a good book to, to read. Thank you. And thank you for that. And we will add it to our bookshelf. Thank you so much, Lauren, for your time today. And uh, thank you for sharing your insight and your wisdom. Thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.